Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Radicals in Conversation, a podcast from Pluto Press, one of the world's leading independent radical publishers. A few days ago, on 1st of December, Andres Manuel López Obrador, or AMLO as he's better known, was inaugurated as the 58th President of Mexico. A progressive politician often compared to Jeremy Corbyn and Bernie Sanders, AMLO's campaign for office galvanised people across Mexico. His decisive victory in July speaks volumes about the corrupt state of the Mexican political elite and the temperament of the people, and has potentially huge implications for the country, for the United States and for the international progressive left. Pluto co-published AMLO's new book, titled A New Hope for Mexico, along with OR Books, on the eve of his taking office just back in October. And you can head over to plutobooks.com to check it out. If you hurry and get there before the 12th of December, it's also available at the very attractive price of £6.50 in our Christmas sale. Now, just five days in, it remains to be seen how much AMLO's presidency will mark a rupture rather than a continuity with the decline of the pink tide in Latin America. Discussing this moment of excitement and hope in Mexico, as well as the realities of the road that lie ahead, we're very happy to welcome onto the show John Holloway, author of Change the World Without Taking Power and Crack Capitalism, among many other books, and Raquel Gutierrez, Professor of Sociology at the Autonomous University of Puebla. John and Raquel recorded the following discussion from the University Studio in Puebla, Mexico. Hope you enjoy. Here we are on Monday the 3rd of December 2018, just two days after the inauguration of Andres Manuel López Obrador, better known by his initials as AMLO, as president of Mexico. It was a very dramatic, very impressive event, and it coincides also with the publication of a new book by Pluto Press called a New Hope for Mexico, written by AMLO. My name is John Holloway. I have been living in Mexico for 28 years, although I was not born here. I am here together with my colleague, my friend and my colleague in the Autonomous University of Puebla, Raquel Gutierrez. Yeah, hello. Um, um, we are very happy to be here because uh, it's it's really interesting to discuss what has been going on in Mexico for the last, let's say, let's say for the last week and with more emphasis with the last three days when this uh, inauguration of the government that was, I mean, the, the developed with a bunch of in very impressive acts that we are going to transmit and analyze in, in, in here. We both work in the sociology program of this university in Puebla, and we are very happy to talk to the English audience. And it was a really impressive event. I mean, I don't usually watch presidential inaugurations. They are, by definition, the most boring thing in the world, I suppose. But this was really interesting. It was really interesting, I think, because it was, for me, it was unlike any other event of this kind that I have ever seen. And because it expressed or concentrated 
an expression of enthusiasm and of hope that I have never seen or witnessed either here in Mexico or in Britain or indeed I think in any anywhere else. Yeah. I think I think you are right, John, because I have seen some inaugurations of the government in Latin America. For example, when Evo Morales arrived to the palace, I have seen in Bolivia, in Bolivia or when uh, the Kirchner's, uh, this Kirchner man, I, I don't remember his name now, arrived to his office in two or three or four, and it was it was something different in here because here what we were feeling was an opening. I don't know if you if you agree with me, but I mean everyone was listening to the words that uh, AMLO was saying against the people that have been destroying our country in the last at least 30 years. I mean, we Mexicans were kind of feeling a, a, a kind of a revenge, kind of I mean, a feeling that it's kind of difficult to explain. But that was very, very interesting because it was kind of our anger can flow, can flow. And that means hope too. Yes, indeed. I think um, an event very different from the previous two presidential inaugurations. Yeah, of course. Just just, just say how it was in, in 2012. Yes, in 2012 it was uh, the inauguration of Enrique Peña Nieto where the inauguration was surrounded by metal barriers, where there were huge demonstrations against him, where, I don't know, maybe a hundred or several hundred protesters yeah. were arrested, yeah. some of whom remained in prison for six years and were re released only recently. Yeah, and if we recall later in time, in 2006, Remember how was when the the first Calderon's government, Panista Calderon government, came to the office, that he couldn't even get to the public places. He couldn't go to the Congress because people were there protesting and rising and etc. And he couldn't go to to the office to the Palacio Nacional, what is called Palacio Nacional in here in Mexico. He had to make the transmission of power, as it said in Mexico, or the inauguration of the government, had to be in a military camp. And then he went to put on a kind of an, a spectacle in the biggest place the auditorium, the national auditorium that's called in, in Mexico City, he made his first talking to people uh, all surrounded by the military in that place, that it's kind of a privatized place. Huh? Mm. It was so, it's really the contrast is. is no, the contrast uh, is really extraordinary because in this case, we had on the television, we saw AMLO leaving his house in the south of the city driving all the way into the center with people lining the, the roads, um, people as well, cyclists kind of catching up with him and um, talking to him through his open window. We had him arrive to the Congress and then afterwards as well deliver a speech not only at Congress but also in the central square of Mexico City to about 170,000 people. Yeah. So really an extraordinary change. And in that sense, it's very hard, however critical we might be, it's very hard not to kind of feel that this is really something different. This is something that we have to think about 
and try to understand. Talking about that, what John was saying about how AMLO left his house in a very modest car, just with two more cars going with him, and talking and, and getting close to all the people, and with only the municipal police there. Uh, what I was feeling when I was looking that and I was talking to many people that I have gathered with was how the securitization model of public life was dissolving. And I think that's important because that it's a very powerful symbol that we can live without all this security madness in our societies, in our streets, in our public places. We Mexicans have been living in this tremendous war on drugs, they say. I mean, they, it's a war on us, but with this security model suffering that, I was feeling very happy about that. Yeah, I think I felt the same because it's not just public security. It's actually a, a kind of security that grows from fear that really penetrates deeply into the society. I mean, I remember that after the inauguration, people were commenting on the fact that he was driving with his window open. And it's not just public officials. It's an awful lot of people who just won't drive with their window open in Mexico because of the question of security. Yeah. So it was not, in that case, I thought it was not just demystifying the presidency, but also challenging this climate of fear that has become so powerful in Mexico. Yeah. And that was, yeah, I mean, we have to say that was really refreshing. It was refreshing. It was, the contrast is very deep. Let's start by that. Yes. Just also with um, his speech in the main square, another thing that was refreshing was that he, he spelt out 100 Promises. Oh, yes, he did. No, it wasn't just the, I mean, it was, yeah, the whole show or the whole different approach, I suppose, to the style of the inauguration, but it was also the content of these promises. So he said, for example, there will be no fracking, there will be no privatization of water, that students going to university to the public universities. The public universities are and will continue to be free, but students will also receive a grant. You know, not an enormous amount, but yes, I mean, a grant that will really make a difference to most people who are studying. He promised to open 100 universities. It's a little bit hard to know what this means, but 100 new public universities in the first year of his government. There are also lovely things like um, the announcement that he would be selling today the presidential plane in the papers today. There's a photo of him booking into a commercial flight yeah. to go to another part of Mexico. There's also the fact, which is lovely, um, that on Saturday they opened the presidential residence yeah. as a museum and let everybody in called, I think, the Museum of Power. And they had about 20,000 visitors. Yeah. 
um, he is going to live somewhere else. But imagine, imagine Jeremy Corbyn, a friend of Amlo's, by the way, imagine Jeremy Corbyn winning an election and then opening Number 10 Downing Street as a museum, or the next president of the United States saying that he was going to open the White House as a museum and he would live somewhere else. I yes. mean, it's really striking. Yeah, the, sim- the symbols were, were very well thought and were, were kind of well prepared. But I want to put another point here about the content. In the act that took place in the afternoon of December the 1st in the, in the main square of Mexico, there was kind of an act, an exhibition of the link of the government, the new government, with indigenous people. And that we have some problems, or I want to point some problems there. Uh, There was two parts of this staging. The first one deals with the way we deal with evil. I mean, indigenous peoples deal with evil. And evil means a lot of things. Evil means nature problems or social problems, all those things. This This ceremony is called limpia. A cleansing. A a cleansing. And they put on the stage a public cleaning of the person of uh, López Obrador and his wife, uh, Beatriz Gutiérrez. That is very symbolic because that is very popular in Mexico. I mean, when you have problems, when you have to do something very difficult or when you have a challenge to to go through, you sometimes go to Olympia. Even, I mean, let's say modern professors of the university, of the public university that are atheists and are well thinkers, let's say, uh, could go to to make Olympia. It's something very important in popular culture. That, I think, was very interesting because when you do that, you invoke the protection of another forces, not the forces of war, but the forces of of hope and of understanding and of wise and of that. I mean, and that was nice. But what was not nice, in my opinion, was that after that ceremony, there was another ceremony when they tried to make a, a failed translation of what is done in small indigenous communities and in small indigenous people, when all the community give to the one that is going to be in charge the uh, baston de mando, the symbol of the power in, the, in a form of a, of a stick. Like a scepter. Okay, exactly. Kind of, sort of. Huh? And that, that is given by the people to the governor is exactly what symbolizes what is called ruling by obeying. Because it's people who give that big stick to the one that's going to be in charge for a period of time. And that symbolizes that he has to obey them, the ones that give. I think that it, it was really a misreduction because we didn't know who the people that gave the thing were. I mean, that really was spectacularized. Huge ceremony that, in my opinion, was empty. I mean, it didn't respect, it mimetized what is done in the popular world. Yeah. 
As you can see, there's a kind of note of criticism creeping in. It's kind of difficult at this moment, at least I find it difficult to talk about what is happening, because on the one hand, it's very hard not to feel to some degree at least the enthusiasm, the hope that things will really be better after so many years of decline in Mexico. Really, the, the country has been a state in a state of increasing social decomposition yeah. for the last, what, 10, 20 years. And we have been expelled out of public life. I mean, we people have been expelled out of public life. That's right, too. Although I mean, there were periodical elections run by or run through very, very heavy party structures that couldn't be permeated by the social struggle. That's um, right, yeah. No, and, and there's real feeling, I think, in the country of people just being absolutely sick of the corruption, of the violence of a feeling of things falling apart. Yeah. And now it, it, it's very hard when AMLO says, now all that's finished, now we're going to change. It's very hard not to share that hope, not to share that enthusiasm. And yet, neither of us, I think, voted for AMLO. And we have our doubts, we have our criticisms, I think, first of all, it has to do with the experience of the left or progressive governments in Latin America and elsewhere. But first in Latin America, Raquel has a lot of experience of Bolivia. So. Well, yes. Uh, I think that we can go now through, because we've been emphasizing up to now, all the symbols and the signals of rupture with the past. But now we have to deal with continuities and we have to deal with what, in my opinion, is the main problem. That is, how can we tear apart continuity uh, as it has happened in, in other experiences? Huh? Um, there was a point that I was discussing with John, I mean, all those days, that is, I think that in Mexico, the things are going not in the timing as they happened in South America. Because in South America, for example, if we think about the governments in Bolivia, the, go the progressive governments in Argentina, the progressive governments in Ecuador, etc., what we have there was that there were a periods of very, very deep struggles that put the regime into crisis. Actually, they did that against privatizations, against representation, against militarization, etc., And these progressive governments came in as if they were a sowing of the torn in society that had been uh, that had appeared by by the hand of the struggles. Mm -hmm. In Mexico, I think something different is happening. As I was saying before, here we are feeling it like an opening, and we are feeling it like an opening, not. No way, because there was not struggle in Mexico. But because the difficult conditions of the struggle in Mexico were really unbearable. I mean, in 2016, two years ago, we had a, really a Mexican rebellion against educative reform, and they could not 
made it happen. I mean, they couldn't made it fall apart. Yes, the rebellion <laughs> led by the the teachers themselves against this educational reform that was introduced by the government opinion. Yet exactly. Just, exactly. Yeah. So now what we feel is if López Obrador starts his uh, political period saying no more reform, no more educative reform in that way, then the ball comes to our place too. So, and what we are going to do, that's the point. And that it's very good for democratic life, that we people, that we citizens, that we people that belong to trade unions or, or to universities or to whatever social structure there are, uh, start thinking about what we can do and what we want. Huh? So in Mexico, in comparison, in contrast to Latin America, this is an opening, not a closure. But we were trying to talk about the continuities of that, and that's very, very problematic because the progressive governments have done the most important capitalism development in South America in the last period. Capitalism development is something that we have to talk about, and perhaps we can talk about that. Not only the links with financial capitalism, interchange, intertwined with local capitalism, making a big machinery of exploitation and of extraction and of destruction, but also making weak the political abilities of people because of translation into formal structures. I don't know if you agree with that, John, or how would you say that? No, I think so. I mean, I think here at the moment we're pretty aware of... I mean, a few years ago, everybody was talking about the pink tide in Latin America, well, in South America, uh, and a lot of enthusiasm for... Venezuela, Bolivia, Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, etc. And I think from where we're standing now, most of those left governments have already fallen. Maduro's government in Venezuela is obviously in very deep problems. Evo Morales in Bolivia is still there, but the Kirchners fell in Brazil. Lula is in prison and his successor, Dilma Rousseff, was also accused of fraud. And not only that, there's a kind of feeling that the progressive governments didn't live up to expectations, but also that I think one doubt must be that they opened a disillusion, a disappointment that opened the way in turn for a most dreadful turn to the right. I mean, Macri in Argentina, and Bolsonaro. now the horrifying case of Bolsonaro in Brazil. And, of course, in the United States, it's not so very different as well. You know, Obama came to, to power with a lot of popular enthusiasm. And again, disappointment, disillusion that he didn't bring about the dramatic changes that he had promised. And that opened the way to the sad experience of Trump. So when we're talking about the 
challenge, I suppose, facing progressive governments were also a little bit, there's a kind of figure in the background. And the figure in the background is the threat of rising fascism, in a way, through, throughout the world. But it, it reminds me, the, the period uh, before World War II. Yeah? Absolutely. When the uh, social democrats couldn't give what they had promised and didn't do what they had said, yeah. and then fascism came, And in here in Latin America, we have now a very, very big discussion about who is responsible for that. And I really dislike all the explanations that are built that put the responsibility on the people that kind of betray their governments. Come on, come on. Yes. I mean, yeah. that's the worst exp uh, explanations they have. <laughs> that's dreadful. Uh -huh. yes. And that is kind of a smoke uh, curtain, not to face the lacks and the failures that they have committed with by no radicalizing their own policies, Absolutely. by not putting in, uh, in crisis, for example, the agricultural exportation model and um, for, for being neoliberal finally. And okay. being neoliberal is being capitalist. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. The experience of the Latin American governments has been one of continuity as capitalist governments in practice, keeping or maintaining the neoliberal uh, policies that they criticized, and above all, I suppose, promoting extractivist capitalism, promoting the exploitation of the natural resources of the country through bringing in mining companies that destroy the environment and destroy the communities in those areas. And perhaps, John, you can put some words about the experience of Greece that you know better than me. Yeah. And, uh, and that's another disastrous example of what happened to Syriza. Yeah, the other example, as you say, is, is Greece. I mean, if we think of, certainly in Europe, when the Syriza government was elected in January of 2015, in its rhetoric, it was the most radical government that Europe had seen for a very long time, you know, and that maintained that radical rhetoric for, what, five months, six months, directed against the austerity being imposed through the European Union, And then collapsed completely and, in yeah. fact, succeeded in imposing privatization measures and austerity measures, cuts in pensions, cuts in medical services that the right-wing government could have succeeded in doing. So, as I say, it's difficult at this to talk about all this in this moment because we don't want to be killjoys. We don't want to be spoiled sports. We don't want to say, oh, you shouldn't be enthusiastic. You shouldn't be full of hope. But there are real, real problems, and it's very important to be conscious of those problems. Yes, yeah. and I think one of the main problems, and it's our problem as Mexicans, you and me, Mexicans, and, and of people from all over the world, is how are we going to defeat these so-called markets? Because, uh, I mean, in the last 30 years, after Thatcher, perhaps, these market words 
has become kind of a magic word explaining some forces of really destructive capitalism that is destructing countries, is destructing societies, is destructing people, is destructing citizenship, actually. And we don't know how to deal with it. And I think in Mexico, we don't either. I mean, we don't know how. And we have to start discussing that quickly because the progressive governments in South America haven't learned how to do it. What are we going to do with that kind of forces of the most... I, I want to make an example. In the weeks before this inauguration, before December the 1st, in Mexico, a discussion was opened against interest rates of financial groups. Uh-huh, banking groups, credit card things, um, the, the interest rates of the public debt that has grown so much in the last periods, etc. So, it was a discussion, in my opinion, about the share of the wealth that this big, huge banking and financial thing monster deserves. Uh, how much we are going to tribute to that? In my opinion, it was a question about that. And in that very moment, these turbulences of the market uh, engineering flow, I mean, trapped us, trapped the society. And then they stepped back. So how can we deal, how can we people in all these countries can deal with that? That is a theoretical problem, and that is a political problem, and that is a social problem we have in our face. In this mood of, uh, let's say, joy, joyous moment, because we're really happy, uh, aren't we? But we are really urged to start collectively and publicly talking about what do we people have to do. And by we people, we talk about all these communitarian weavings that really support life. In other countries that, as ours in Latin America, that have this indigenous matrix, it's a very, a very strange and exuberant kind of uh, entanglement of people that do things to struggle for their interests and to talk to, to the others. How can we deal with all the problems, the big ones? Huh? And that, that's an important question, John, don't you think? Yes, I think very much so indeed. I think that really the issue is already presenting itself and has been even in the last few weeks in terms of the markets, as you say. Uh, markets really being, a, I suppose, a euphemism for capital. Just a few days ago, the Financial Times had a big article entitled AMLO versus the markets. And I think that for, for capital, that is the big worry, is just how obedient, yeah, obedient AMLO is going to be to the requirements of the markets or whether the social pressures are going to push him off the rails, as it were. There was a big, um, one big issue just, what, a week, two weeks ago, was the question of the new airport in Mexico City that uh, for the last few years and against an awful lot of opposition, both environmental opposition and opposition from local people. They have started building a an airport in Texcoco, just outside Mexico City, 
AMLO took up the issue of whether it would not be better to open a new airport in a different place and held a popular consultation in which the vast majority of those who took part supported um, the idea of closing down the airport that had already been started and opening another one. And this came as a shock. I mean, not just to the capitalists who had investments there, but also the capital as a whole. They began to think, well, no, perhaps AMLO is not so reliable. Perhaps he is not going to do what we want. And we'd better withdraw our money so that there are big investment companies that are telling their clients, don't invest in Mexico for the moment. And the problem, of course, is that any state depends on attracting capital to its frontiers in order to finance its own existence, in order to provide employment for people. And if a government does something that's very radical, then of course investors will say, our money won't be very safe in that country, we're not going to invest there. And it's really this pressure that over and over and over again has imposed the rule of capital on the most radical or most radical sounding governments. And just how that is going to play out in the case of the AMLO government is not clear yet. It's going to play out, I suppose, partly in terms of personal conflicts within the cabinet, because AMLO has been careful to appoint people to the cabinet who are very friendly, are very attractive to capital, have close links. But, of course, not all members of the cabinet are like that. There are bound to be conflicts within the cabinet. There are bound to be conflicts within the party, Morena, which is the party that supports AMLO. And it would be completely wrong to underestimate the enormous force of capital. It's very hard to see how this government, or indeed any government, can break with that. Um, uh, I mean, trying to summarize the things that AMLO has already said and that we agree with him, I think, he has said no airport. And and, and this airport thing, it, it was a great, great business called Nuevo Aeropuerto de la Ciudad de México that was the most important, I think, the most important project that really made... It was exactly the place where the unification of the dominant class through inversion was kind of working in. So that it's not only an economic hit, but it's also a political hit, mm-hmm. I think. Because mm-hmm. when uh, when a very, very big business sinks, all the people that were united when it was floating want to save themselves. Yes. So yes, it makes it makes some... It's, it's, I think, a political intelligence there. The second thing was no transgenic yes, seats, indeed, and that's very important here, because in here, I mean, we are the cradle of the corn seed, and etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and we have lost in the last 20 years the ability and the capacity of feeding our people, and we are importing a lot of food, of third-class food. That's what we are importing. And, and we can really grow and, uh, and cultivate and promote first-class food that it's 
nationalism apart, delicious, uh, isn't it? True? <laughs> yes. Okay, then no fracking. That's important because this fracking industry is uh, kind of destroying the world all around. And uh, no fracking here. What's what's that going to mean? And the other thing is that uh, Lopez Obrador said that his government is going to build and refix uh, the um, oil refineries. Uh, Mexico used to be autosufficient in fuel, producing it not only its own oil, but its own fuel. And in the last 12 years, we got to a situation of importing 80% of the fuel we use and importing it from South United States. I mean, what are we talking about? George Bush and Bush family's friends. I mean, all these oil companies and all that. Mm. So... He has kind of huge enemies, let's say. And he's saying no in that. And I think that's good. And that puts a question in us. It is very good. And, you know, there are things that I suppose surprised me in the last few days and, and that I felt very good. But on the transgenics, for example, at the same time as saying no, he is also appointed to the cabinet, somebody very closely associated with the promotion of these transgenic crops. So it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle that will go on at every level, I think, um, within the cabinet, within the party. And I suppose this is the point that's really most important for us within the population as a whole. The Zapatistas and their reaction to the electoral triumph of AMLO have said, well, this is just a change of foreman in the world farm. No, I mean, it's really that this is capital, world capital, has to impose its discipline everywhere. That's what AMLO will have to do, just as any other president or any other leader of state has to do. And we... We just don't want any form, and we want to be free. I mean, that, that was their reaction. I suppose what I feel is that that is basically right, but that it's missing something. And what it's missing on is just a huge surge of hope and enthusiasm. And somehow we have to think from that. And we have to think that in the next few years, we're going to see over and over again in different places a clash between this enthusiasm on the one hand and the sort of changes that the government, like it or not, is going to have to impose in order to keep capital happy. And really it's a question then of thinking, well, what do we do in this, this situation? I mean, I can think in very general terms, well, what we have to do is think in, against and beyond the AMLO government. We have to break in some way the grammar, the logic of institutionalization. And I think, John, in, exactly in that sense, I think that we can go back to some of the things you have wrote a lot about, that explaining how capitalism depends on us. Because if we have to really break our links to these things called markets, and, and how markets really depend on us, perhaps 
in Mexico here and perhaps with people from all the world, it would be very nice to make here a very big conference about how capitalism depends on us mm -hmm. and, and what can we do about it. We have already enough experiences of not being able to kind of domesticate this capitalism that depends on us with progressive governments. And we want to do it. And because we want to break capitalism, but we have to, first of all, make capitalism not to kill us, as we have been feeling here in, in Mexico for the last 12 years at least. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know, I would, I would get not exactly in this against and beyond, but in this dialectical relation of how this world is, it's patas para arriba, we would say in Spanish, it's upside down, upside down. it's upside down, and we sometimes cannot understand it. In Mexico, part of the hope I feel is that we might have recovered the capacity of understanding how we can deal with things to make a better life for everyone and how we can reconstruct the public and the commons. That's the way I feel, and it's up on us. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think sometimes we, we talk about Mexico, and as we did a few minutes ago, about it really being a country that's falling apart, it's become horribly violent, horribly corrupt, and yet uh, it's, a, it's, it's an exciting place to live. And I suppose it's exciting not just because you're, it's not because of the bad side, it's also because there's a terrific tradition of disobedience there's a terrific tradition of building and strengthening alternative structures, alternative ways of living, alternative ways of thinking about the way forward. We've got that in the Zapatista movement. We have it in many of the indigenous movements. I suppose the worry about the AMLO government for me is that Perhaps it represents a domestication of this disobedience, that it could happen, that it brings it under control, that the more radical forms of disobedience become completely delegitimized. And we have to say no. I mean, yeah, exciting moment, but really... We have to go beyond the institutions. We have to go beyond institutional logic. We have to think that in a world ruled by money, ruled by capital, the future of humanity depends upon our, our disobedience. And we have to think what that means in the next few years. And we have to take that seriously because they won't give us enough because we want all. Absolutely, yes. Okay, this has been lovely. Thanks very much indeed, Raquel, for this conversation. And yes, John, it's been lovely talking to you and uh, we hope that uh, the British audience um, grasps part of what we are feeling, that it's so contradictory and so inspiring and so at the same time kind of we are reluctant because we have seen a lot. Yes. That was John Holloway and Raquel Gutierrez in a conversation recorded earlier this week for Radicals in Conversation. 
Once again, A New Hope for Mexico, the new book by AMLO, is available now from plutobooks.com, as well as all good bookshops. Well, that's it from us for 2018. We'll be back with our next episode in the second half of January. In the meantime, a big thanks to you for listening. We hope you enjoy the holidays and have a happy new year. Bye.